You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Peter King from the MMQB and former Bills receiver David Nelson. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Jaguars quarterback David Garrod. David, thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. How are you doing? Absolutely. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We are pleased to talk Jacksonville football, so let's start with an overall view. How do you think Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin were able to change the culture of this team so quickly? They went from three wins to a division championship. You know, I'm, um, I've am i been so surprised all year long that we, uh, we turned things around so fast in a way that we did, but uh, that just proves if you have a very strong defense, you can do a lot of things. I mean, not just having a good defense, but our defense scores points. We win games with just our defense alone. And, I mean, not a lot of teams can say that. And so the good thing about having an awesome defense like, like ours is they travel. They play well. It's not a, a system like a, an offense that has to perform well today. They are just out hunting every game. They're trying to get turnovers. They're trying to uh, blow guys up, you know, and that's that's fun. We're loving it here at Jacksonville. Yeah, David, I've got to be honest with you, man. You, Tom Coughlin comes in and changes the culture completely to the point where it's a well-balanced team, as you were talking about, where the defense is tenacious, the running game is just as – uh, tenacious. If you can get Blake Bortles to not turn the football over, because if this football team with him does not turn the football over, it will be a hard team to beat. Give me your take on what is it going to take for him to not do that to help this team be the scariest team in the postseason? Yeah, you know, Cordell, uh, absolutely. That's our, that's honestly our biggest question mark, our, our biggest fear, because we know, like you said, all the other things will show up. We know we'll have the run game deal. We know our defense is going to show up, but, you know, which Blake are we going to get? Are we going to get December Blake that, um, you know, was lighting the league up, you know, probably had the best month of all the quarterbacks in the league, or are we going to get the Blake that plays every other time, <laughs> you know, that throws some of the worst turnovers that I've ever seen sometimes, uh, you know, just sometimes loses his poise when, the game starts to get tight when um, you're needing this drive to go down and win, and he does not show up at those times. And, and that's been my biggest knock on him because he has all the tools. He has all the talent. He, he understands the game. He knows his playbook. It's when the game is on the line, we need this drive. What are you going to do for us? And too many times it's been – not just, uh, you know, turnover and downs, we don't get it. It's been an interception and a crazy interception. So until he can prove that he can take the game over on the last two-minute drive, which is what just about every game comes down to, especially in the playoffs, can you do it? Can you do it then? David Garrard is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. David, though, should we give Blake Bortles some credit for this component? We chatted earlier in the year. Remember, he was benched in the preseason. They gave Chad Henney a chance. He wasn't much better. That could have shattered a lot of quarterbacks' confidence. He came back, and prior to the wobbly finish to the season, back-to-back games yeah. with picks, he had that stretch with three consecutive games, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. So to me, at least, he displayed he's capable of playing better football. Yeah, absolutely. I would say just overall his whole year has been – great compared to what we've what we've got from him in the past it's been a great year for Blake Bortles and like you said that that stretch he had there where he was just being real dominant with the ball it just it just seemed like he was playing with a confidence that we hadn't seen him have before and we want to make sure that he gets that back as you know it's when and when you go back home and and hopefully have a job moving forward you know in the future I think this is an opportunity for him to go out and shine in the playoffs. And everybody knows you can make your money, you can make your hay in the playoffs. You go out and play well, you win the ball game, and and you show that you have that moxie, that makeup that it takes to go out and, you know, put the game on me. Put the game on my shoulders, 
and I'll carry us to a win. That's what we want from Blake, and it's still we still haven't quite gotten that yet. Although when our defense is scoring points and the run game is is balling out and he's got his guys open, he's money. It's when we're down five points and we need this drive. That that is the only knock I have right now on Blake. Other than that, I think he's um, he's turning into a fine quarterback. Talk about the defense, breath of fresh air. You talk about the running game, breath of fresh air. Talk about Blake Bortles, you hold your breath. Considering that, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is going to happen this offseason? Because this team is truly a quarterback away, a solid quarterback away for being very, very good. What do you think happens to Blake Bortles during this offseason? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, and this is what I've said kind of throughout the year when I've talked to people is, I think it's really going to come down to now that we've gotten here, we're in the playoffs. He's shown enough throughout this year to at least still be the starter going into next year. So that he's got his fifth-year option. I think he's shown enough. Now, I'm not saying he's shown enough to lock him up yet for a number of years. But I think when he goes out and plays in this playoff game and if they win and he plays in another one, and has the kind of success that he had early in December, I think he's a guy that you actually would love to start thinking about because he's a product of this team. He's, he's uh, grown organically within the system with a bunch of offensive coordinators, a few different head coaches, and he's turned out to be the product that you thought he would. If he goes out and lays eggs, throws turnovers, loses the game, now you absolutely are thinking about bringing in another quarterback. Because when we needed you the most, he he showed up. He gave us the AFC South, okay? But now we need you again. What are you going to do for us now? And you're only as good as your last game, as your last throw, you know, in, in the season. So that's what sticks with us. Week five through week ten, that's not what we're thinking back on. We're thinking about your last performance. And if they aren't getting somebody in, say, like the third round or bringing in a free agent quarterback, something's going to happen. It all, I think, hinges on his performance through the playoffs. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber chatting with David Garrard, former Jaguar quarterback, last quarterback to appear in a postseason game for Jacksonville as they get set for wild card weekend in the matchup against Buffalo. David, let's wrap it up with the psyche of this football team. Watching the Jags play every week, there's swagger on that sideline. They are good. <laughs> And they know yeah. it. As a former player, do you like that mindset? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Especially when it's coming from the defensive side. I love when you have a defense that walks out on the field and knows that we could probably get a turnover right here and run it back for a touchdown. Or you're just not going anywhere. It's going to be three and out, and we're going to be sitting back on the sideline giving the ball back to our offense. So as an offensive player, as a quarterback, I love that swagger coming from uh, my defense especially. I love it coming from my skill players. I just love it when you're winning, you can do these things. Now, when you're a knucklehead and we're not winning and you still are trying to get out there and showboat and all that, it's a totally different thing. But if you're backing up what you're saying out there on the field, if you're backing up that swagger, making the plays, absolutely, I would love it. David, we always enjoy having you on the program. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today and enjoy the highly anticipated return of playoff football to Jacksonville this weekend. Absolutely. And, and when we win this weekend, make sure we're back on next week. We will book you. <laughs> Same it. time next week. Thank you, David. Awesome. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. 
Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as always, we appreciate the time. Mark Davis can run his franchise however he deems fit, but since the rest of NFL ownership is going to have to approve John Gruden potentially getting a piece of the team, how do you think they're going to view that move as precedent? Do you think other select high-profile coaches, say Jim Harbaugh, if he wants back in, would he demand an equity stake as well? You know, he might. Uh, And look, it depends on how desperate the owner is. Right now, Mark Davis is desperate. And, Brian, one of the things that I think is happening here is that this is not the first time that Mark Davis has tried to hire John Gruden. And when they talked before, uh, there was quite an offer. And I'm not positive it included an ownership stake, but I know it was a gigantic offer before. So I think even more of a precedent is going to be what he ends up paying uh, John Gruden, because I believe he's going to have to pay him now that it's all out there. I believe he's going to have to pay him about $10 million a year, which I believe will put him north of Bill Belichick, or at least very, very close. So this is going to be very good for the coaching business, the coaching salary business, I believe. Peter, when, when looking at the Buffalo Bills this year, I remember when Coach McDermott made the move to go to Nathan Peterman against the Chargers, and I said when they lost that football game, this may be the game that cost his football team to getting into the postseason, but now they're finally in. Give me your take on what does this do for this organization, their morale, and a sense of their approach for next season? Well, I, I mean, Cordell, when you, when you haven't made the playoffs in 18 years, I think, and when you finally do make the playoffs, it's one of these rising tide lifts all boats things. Uh, I think it's really going to help the organization from a uh, from a long-term ticket sales uh, luxury suite standpoint. This is a this is a region that wants to be in love with the Buffalo Bills 365 days a year. They like the Sabers, uh, you know, but but this is this really is a Bills region. And, uh, you know, I remember Roger Goodell is from, uh, I don't know, maybe 60 miles away from there. He is has always had a soft spot in his heart for the Buffalo Bills because he understands the passion. It's one of the things that I hated about the Raiders moving to Vegas. You do not leave Oakland. You just don't do that. And I feel the same way about Buffalo. Do not leave Buffalo. That is the kind of place. You've seen what happened with Andy Dalton today. His foundation. Bill's fans have donated more than $100,000 to Andy Dalton's foundation just to say thank you uh, for that incredible play on 4th and 12 to to put the Bills in the playoffs. This is basically the feel-good story of the year in the NFL in all ways. And this is really kind of the juice the NFL needs in what otherwise has been a mostly crummy year. Chatting with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, what was your reaction last night? We found out that Ted Thompson was being reassigned. New role in the front office of Green Bay, and the Packers are now looking for a new GM. You know, I, every year when I go to training camp with the at the Packers, I would have a 15 or 20-minute off-the-record conversation. Not that Ted Thompson ever told me uh, all that much. Uh, but he just he was a private guy when he was on the record in front of the media once or twice a year. That was it. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I mean, I really, really like Ted Thompson as a person. And he never had the kind of, uh, the kind of zeal or, or you, know, uh, you know, apparent real passion uh, for the Packers that the fan base out there wanted. Um, but, I, I mean, you can't be who you're not. And Ted Thompson is a private guy. He was a bachelor. His, the highlight of his year every year was going home to Texas and spending two weeks just sitting there with his father, who must be in his late 80s, I would assume, uh, and is just sitting there with his father and just talking. No highlight, no trip to Rome. No trip to climb a mountain somewhere. I mean, he just wanted the quiet life. 
And I, I found it very, very interesting that Mark Murphy, the president of the Packers, said today that Ted is just going to disappear. He's not going to do a farewell press conference. He's just going to – it's over. And he's just going to walk away. And that, to me, is perfect Ted Thompson. He doesn't dislike the media at all. Uh, he just doesn't have any desire to be famous or to be a public figure. And some would say, well, he's in the wrong business. But, you know, look, Green Bay should owe him this incredible debt of gratitude for in 2005 not thinking, well, geez, we got Brett Favre for three or four more years. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to ignore the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers is sinking like a stone in the first round of the draft. We're going to take him because in, on our board, he's a top five player, and they took him. So, you know, every Green Bay Packer fan owes that to Ted Thompson, that they'll go another 15 years after Favre with no problem ever at the quarterback position. You mentioned how, how quiet Ted Thompson was. Um, he was quiet, I thought, in his approach in building the roster around Aaron Rodgers, who you just talked about. Give yeah. me your take on how will they handle him, Aaron Rodgers, moving forward, because some may think he should get the biggest signing bonus of any quarterback in the history of the game, but we've seen uh, what happened in Indy with Andrew Luck and that and how they handicapped the roster. How do you think they handle Aaron Rodgers moving forward with the contract? That's a great question, Cordell. Look, Rodgers is going to make his money. Um, he's going to get at least one more huge contract from this team and probably just one more. Um, and, and I don't think that's really going to be an issue. The reason why I don't is, so the cap is going to go up about $12 million next year. Uh, the Packers are probably going to be able to shed some big salaries. I question whether Jordy Nelson is going to come back now that they've re-signed Devontae Adams for pretty good money. Uh, and so I, I kind of think that they're going to be able to do it and it's not going to hamstring them all that much because, look, nobody thinks that Aaron Rodgers doesn't deserve it. The only asterisk he has, honestly, is that he gets hurt sometimes. And that's just the way he is. And and I think when he does come back this year, I do think, or in 2018, I do think that he's probably going to be a little bit more careful with his body. Peter, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. All the best, guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, spotlighting the Bills as they get ready for their first playoff game since 1999 with former Bills wide receiver David Nelson. David, thanks so much for taking the time. We hear so much about the passion connected to the Bills fan base. They call themselves the Bills Mafia. What was your experience like playing in Western New York? Do people want to talk football with you when you're at the mall or the grocery store? Oh, man, you got that right. It was, uh, it was, a, it was an unbelievable experience. I, mean, I grew up and played high school football in Texas. and So, you know, just the passion and the, the, uh, the excitement for Texas high school football is, is you know, unrivaled. Then being able to play in the SEC, you know, with the Florida Gators and, you know, winning two national championships and, you know, in the hotbed of, of, you know, college football. And then, you know, didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I, I grew up a huge Cowboys fan in the 90s. And, and so watching, you know, the Cowboys play the Bills, and, you know, I got, I got picked up there. Uh, coming out of college, I didn't know what to expect. But, but man, you're exactly right. I mean, if we, when you, we, I think my second year there in 2011, we started the season four and zero, and it was uh, a, an unbelievable experience. I mean, just with the people and, and how excited they were. Uh, they just want something to, to, to cling on to. And whether, whether it's Sabers or the Bills, I mean, those the, those people up in Western New York and Buffalo and Rochester love their love their teams and, and are extremely passionate and excited about them. Dave, when you think of this team and and the last time they've been to the postseason, it was 1999. And now that they've squeaked in by the help of the Baltimore Ravens not taking care of their business and Cincinnati doing doing just the opposite, uh, is it okay to say that the Buffalo Bills are back? 
Oh man, I I, <laughs> I think so. I think so. And you know, it's funny because before the season, you know, being there for three years and you just kind of watch the trajectory of the team, and uh, you know, that fan base just hasn't had much to get excited about, just because whenever they feel they're on the cusp or on the glimpse of whether it be playoffs or something special, it seems like. Uh, they just split the entire team apart, or they, they find some new uh, head coach or a new quarterback, and they just can't seem to find any consistency or something to cling on to leading into the offseason and leading into next year. It's always, well, maybe next year we'll take that next step. And so I think just for the fan base and finally for the, you know, the front office, for that entire uh, community, that Bills community as a whole, has something that they can cling on to and say, okay, we are back. You know, whether that means Super Bowl bound or whether that means, you know, contenders in the AFC East, I, I don't think that right now that's what they're really concerned about. I think right now it's we're back in the playoffs. We're back into the top half, upper echelon of the league. Uh, and Bills fan believe that they can get back to the Super Bowl here pretty soon. Talking Buffalo football with David Nelson, former Bills receiver. David, how do you think this team has approached Tyrod Taylor this year? He took the $10 million pay cut to keep his job, briefly lost the starting role to Nathan Peterman, and threw it all from a distance Taylor never appears to have lost his composure. Yeah, and I, I've been really, uh, been really impressed with the way he's handled, just as a professional, how he's handled this entire, uh, this his, his entire uh, tenure while he's been in Buffalo. I mean, you look at how he started when he got there and earning the starting job, and then he uh, was given the contract, and even after you know. A, mediocre, I guess, by his standards and I guess the front office standards last year, you know, it kind of looked like they were kind of, they were trying to push him out with the moves they made in the offseason trading, you know, Robert and, and um, uh, but Sammy Watkins and some of his biggest uh, playmakers and just seemed like they were transitioning out of his era and trying to find the next step. And, you know, with the move they made this year, putting Peterson, Peterman in uh, middle of the year, I, I kind of got the feel from the locker room. It was kind of confusion. You know, the guys there are just so loyal and you know, after so much they've been through over the past you know, 17 years, still to be able to listen to a head coach and trust and buy, buy into what he's trying to lead them to do. Uh, those guys were following his lead. And, you know, just Tyrod, uh, you know, he led that locker room. He could have very easily come out and tried to make it all about him. He could have very easily tried to uh, come out and try to make a big stink about it, you know, whether it be his contract or whether it be his future with the team. But he didn't do that. And he just stayed quiet and he just stayed um, stayed motivated, stayed concentrated on the task at hand, and whenever the opportunity was given, he made the most of it. And, you know, they almost, that one game where they didn't start him almost ended up costing him. But, you know, that, that's just a tribute to him and a tribute to that entire uh, locker room for just buying in and continuing to fight, continuing to crawl uh, each and every single week and buying into the plan that the head coach had for them. I mean, we've seen that happen this year with Eli Manning and out there with the Giants. And, and of course, we see it happen with Tyrod Taylor at the beginning of the year. They end up restructuring his deal. I had to take a pay cut. Uh, and then you mentioned Coach McDermott and making that brilliant decision and going off of his gut, uh, putting Nathan Peterman in. And he ended up throwing eight <laughs> passes and, and ended up throwing four interceptions of the out of the eight. Uh, how do you think that actually works out for Tyrod Taylor as he moves forward for his trust is concerned and wanting to even be with the organization? Because while he's handled everything professionally, there is a business side behind the scenes that I think that has to take place to get this addressed. You're exactly right. And you know, I always look to see, you know, I guess you can, you can always tell what a uh, player's respect value or what a player's uh, reputation is in the locker room when situations like this happen. You know, players that kind of have to come out and have to vouch for themselves, have to speak on their own behalf, have to make this you know, big hoopla about what's going on. You know, those are the ones that are kind of you know, about themselves. And those are the ones that you know, the, the other players are, are either being told to kind of back up. You can just tell the way that this, this team rallied behind him, whether it be through the media or whether it be through when he came out to the field. You know, there was no denying who their leader was. There was no denying who their guy was. And you know, that's just a tribute and a testament to him and to his character and to the way he prepares. And I, I think when you look at that just as a whole in the collective body of work, and as a quarterback, and Cordell, you know this very well, a quarterback's job isn't just to deliver passes and isn't just to hit uh, his receiver in stride, which, you know, as a receiver, that's what we hope he can do, but it's also to rally the guys around him and to make each and every single person that is in that huddle, all 10 guys that, are surrounded, that he's surrounded by, to make them better, to elevate their level of play. And I think you've seen that from Tyrod just through all, like I said, through all the inconsistency of changing head coach from Russ Ryan to Coach McDermott this year, and all the in, ups and downs of the season. You know, they've they've handled it and they've they've, they've st- uh, addressed the the changes in the culture, and he's still standing. And so I think you can't deny that. I think that he has to be the guy for them moving forward. They have to give him that vote of confidence, whether it be because of how they treat him this year or because of the collective body of work and the way that that team and those guys rally around him. 
And like I said, given the fact they don't really provide those playmakers until the middle of the season, they actually took them away at the beginning of the year. David, we'd like to highlight the outstanding work being done by current and former players. What can you tell us about your foundation and its mission statement? Yeah, man, we started this, uh, my brothers and I started this nonprofit in 2012 after my third year in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I went and visited Haiti uh, after the earthquake and, in 2012 and fell in love with the kids and fell in love with the people there. And, you know, just in the midst of just so much pain and suffering, we saw so much hope and joy. And, you know, with me being the oldest of eight kids, you know, family and, and siblings is everything to me. And, you know, I was able to become an NFL athlete because I had the support and encouragement uh, when I succeeded and when I failed. And so of, of my family. And so we saw all these kids who were specifically orphans who do not, don't have that, don't possess that. And so my brothers and I, you know, our heart was just burdened for them. And so we created this organization to go in to give family and give love and give life and opportunity to kids who are in an orphan situation, whether it be through sports or through houses or through families, food, jobs. Uh, whatever it looks like, just to give them the opportunity to give them a hand up instead of a handout. So uh, the organization is IME. Visit uh, org and uh, shoot, come to Haiti with us. <laughs> we look forward to that. Well, David, thank you so much for the great work there, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, the pleasure is mine. Thank you, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, Cordell shares his thoughts on the new head coach openings around the league. Let's head back to our analysis of the coaching moves made across the league. And let's go back to what occurred Sunday in Southern California after the Raiders lost to the Chargers. It was Jack Del Rio announcing he was no longer the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. I spoke with Mark Davis after the game, and Mark let me know that he's not going to be bringing me back. And so um, he told me, loved me and appreciated all that I did to, to you know, to kind of get this program going the right direction, uh, but that he felt the need to change. I told him how much uh, I appreciated the opportunity he gave me. And um, I mean that. Very grateful. My childhood team. But uh, it's a results business. I understand that. An emotional Jack Del Rio postgame Sunday in Carson, California. Now let's hear from his quarterback, or now former quarterback. He'll continue to be the signal caller for Oakland. It's Derek Carr. Um, it hurts. Um, you know, we weren't good enough for him. Uh, you know, we have to take our ownership as players, and I think that, you know, that's where we're at right now is, uh, you know, we're kind of angry that we let it get to that. You know, we're, we're upset uh, at ourselves. We understand the business part of it. Um, uh, but as players, you know, uh, our job is to come back better and hungry. Cordell, we know that football is a tough business. Here's another example of that with Del Rio. So embraced a year ago, aggressive play calling, going for two on the road in New Orleans. Raiders make the playoffs. He gets the contract extension this year. They underachieved massively just six wins. So the move, I think, is understandable and justifiable. Now let's talk about how attractive this opening truly is because you've been more critical of Derek Carr than other national analysts. I have. I have. And because it's more about the body of work over time, because we have a tendency sometimes, I would say as pundits, uh, is to jump on something because it becomes the hot thing to jump on. Uh, the masses say he gets a big deal. He's a he's a future Hall of Famer or he he gets a big deal or he's afraid to the franchise and he's an elite quarterback. But really, the body of work hasn't allowed him to be that last season, I thought it was a solid season that he had. But the thing that made it stick to players like the Steve Youngs, the Troy Aikmans, the John Elways, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, uh, the Ben Roethlisberger's is is it's it stick to those guys on a consistent basis, regardless of the changes, regardless of coaches. Kurt Warner's those guys they consistently play football on a high level. 
because when we start taking a term elite and we just throw it around for the sake of conversations because we assume based on the projection of this player that is going to elevate and consistently go higher. Now, Derek Carr, is he in the middle of the pack? Sure. He's on a, he's, I give him the middle of the pack in a sense of what he's capable of doing in comparison to a lot of other quarterbacks in the game. But for me, when it's all said and done, what has he done to been given the pass or even put on that on that pedestal to say that he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the National Football League? Exactly. Nothing quite yet. Now, he is the face of that franchise. The body of work that he's done has afforded him that opportunity to be the face of that franchise and that organization. But when you think about the elite quarterbacks that we've been accustomed to understanding what and who was elite, there's still a lot of work to do. There's a tremendous amount of work to do. And regardless of him coming off of an injury or whatever the case may be, until there's levels of consistency at that position, and this is a position that's going to be, that's going to be ridiculed a little bit worse than many. Because at cornerback, when you're playing man coverage, the only one that I thought was judged by his coverage was players like the prime time and, and Deion Sanders because he was one of the only that was capable throughout his entire career to shut down his guy. Even Darrell Rivas, we never said it with prime time or moving him to the, safe, to the safety position because he's getting too slow. We basically say that for Darrell Rivas. Richard Sherman, we even said how he's getting burnt. and getting, We never said that about, but those guys, were, those guys were prime time players and they were the elite corners because they were the only few that was playing man coverage in the National Football League. Derek Carr, he's not giving me that style of football every week as a quarterback in the National Football League. They're not considered in that division while we've given them in back-to-back seasons the opportunity to be the best in it. They're not the team. He's not the elite quarterback in that division. He's you know not? who becomes that? All right, who is the elite quarterback in that division? <laughs> in that division? Alex Smith The guy for who's won over the last couple of years. Alex Smith for now, but I think Alex Smith is going to be traded by the Chiefs in the offseason. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's still not the elite guy in that division, even though he's going to get traded because they made the move during the offseason that forces the hand for them to make that move to move forward without an Alex Smith. Is any elite quarterback in the National Football League? I would say no. But is he the best one in that division with what he does with his football team? Yes, he is. Will Phillip Rivers end up being in the Hall of Fame at some point in time in his life? Sure he will. Are we on that level of saying that about Derek Carr yet? No. He hadn't won, has he won a playoff game yet? We haven't gotten any of that quite yet. Same reason why we see p- coaches that don't get in, that gets into the playoffs and can't win, and we ridicule them and say they should be cut, fired, whatever the case may be. The same thing stands for, I would say, Derek Carr, or even other quarterbacks in the National Football League that are put on that pedestal of being elite, but they haven't put in the, the body of work over time, whether it's injuries, whether it's the lack of consistency, to be put in that class of elite, because now that's discrediting the work that the other guys that are truly elite it's discrediting all the work that they've done. So now you're you're diluting the work that I would think the true elite quarterbacks have done. So while Derek Carr is a good quarterback, matter of fact, sometimes he's better than good. He's very good at times. Is he on that level yet to be considered as that top quarterback? Let's just start in that division, and that answer is no. Okay. How big a difference would coaching make? Well, I tell you what. You know, Coach Jack Del Rio is a defensive-minded guy. Right. Okay, so when it comes down to lending your services to that position, and that position is the glorified position on your team, some other running backs, some other receivers, some are just the defense. But when that's the glorified position, they're in Oakland, and we hear this conversation about John Gruden. John Gruden is considered the QB guru. All right, what does he have when he has his Gruden camp with the kids, and who is he talking to on his van when it comes down to draft time? talking to all quarterbacks. What did he do with Rich Gannon? Took his game to another level. He ends up leaving, going down to Tampa. What did he do for Rob Johnson? Who was consistent over time? He just couldn't get to the next level. But his body of work, interceptions, touchdowns, completion percentage, Rob Johnson was one of the best in the game. Got down to Tampa, took all that same talent that Tony Dungy had, took it to the next level. And so when you look at what he's done, and yes, that team that he had in Oakland, once he leaves there and goes to Tampa, that team ends up going to the Super Bowl and they end up playing against their head coach. So John Gruden 
I would say who I would look at as an older Sean McVay or younger Sean McVay is a younger John Gruden. <laughs> However you want to put it in, 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 in the crystal ball of, of prefacing it, I look at it as being a case in a scenario for a Derek Carr that I think, based on how he drives the quarterback and pushes the quarterback to be good, to be able to get the ball out of his hand. Derek Carr, he likes to hold the, ba- hold the ball for a long time. And they want to go to Amari Cooper or they want to go to Michael Crabtree. It's never the route in, in the concepts of the routes that determines who gets the football. I think that's why the Rams with Sean McVay is so much better. It's because the way he goes about calling those plays – designing those plays it doesn't put too much pressure on your average maybe pretty good receiver or maybe just less than average receiver to be great it just ask him to be where he's supposed to be based on the rhythm and the timing of this certain route that's why i think that you see a jared golf catapult his game from looking like a rookie and looking like he doesn't belong to all of a sudden look like he is one of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League. Todd Gurley, he was ran up out of town, basically, in a sense through conversations with the pundits because he didn't get a 100-yard rushing game. But forgetting, the offensive line couldn't protect the quarterback, my guy Case Keenum or Jared Goff, and you didn't get a 100-yard rushing game that season. So you all of a sudden bring in a a Sean McVay. What am I saying? I think that same thing with – the head coach that could potentially be there in Oakland and John Gruden can do that same thing for Derek Carr. That, that's what I know he'll be able to do. Now, it's good to have a good defensive coordinator similar to a Wade Phillip where Sean McVay doesn't have to go to that side of the football. Get someone in that's all in with the defense and give him the offense and do all the things he needs to do to build his team up to help out a Michael Crabtree, to help out a Amari Cooper. wonder if you're going to keep a Marshawn Lynch. Bring someone else to help out of Marshawn Lynch if you choose to keep him for another year because he became the ambassador of the city and the team. Guess who the ambassador is going to be now? John Gruden. And you call Derek Carr the face (laughs) of the franchise? You know who the face of the franchise is going to be? John Gruden. You love it when I read my resume. Go ahead. When I was doing local TV and radio in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was part of the Raiders radio network doing the Tim Brown show. I was the Raiders beat reporter for the company that's now NBC Sports Bay Area. I was around that facility every day for two years. Everything you heard about Gruden, and obviously you were in the league, so you knew what was going on. But locally, he was bigger than life. He was more popular than all the stars, including Lincoln Kennedy, including Tim Brown, including Rich Gannon, who won an MVP award. So to me, this is about galvanizing this fan base. And guess what's coming up in 2020, my man? They're going to Nevada. They got to sell tickets. They need a rock star. They need a rock star. So answer this question. So John Gruden was bigger than William, Robert, Rob, Bob, and that's Bill Walsh. Because, you know, that Bill can go to all Mm. those different names. He was bigger than Bill. Listen. In Oakland, the city of Oakland. Check this out, okay? You know, I don't think the move with the Davis family to go for John Gruden is, I would say, a good move. That's the lowest I'll go. You know, some people say it's not a bad move. I'm not going to say it's a good move. I'm going to say it's a great move. And this is the reason why. You know you suck, the energy was sucked out of the fan base and out of that community there in Oakland to the point where what was the la- when was the last time this team truly had some real success? True success. Went to a championship. Just playing some really good football to the point where all the things you just mentioned about the energy that he brought to that community. It was John Gruden. It was Chucky. Now that was and a he, young Chucky, though. We all get older. Chucky. We all slow down. Just because he's snarling on Monday Night Football, is he the same guy? Well, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I like to say he is. Okay, and this is you why. You realize he left Oakland in 2002. I don't have a problem with that. But Long this is the reason ago. why. And he's still one of the young guys. And this is why he lost all his weight, by the way. <laughs> he fooled everybody. You thought he was trying to look better in his suits, didn't you? When he was up there on Monday Night Football on ESPN. You thought he was trying to get into his suits. He didn't care. The sleeves were still too long because his back got a little bit smaller. His belly got a little smaller. So the sleeves got a little bit longer. But here's the deal with John Cruton. <laughs> and this is why I like the move, okay? Is because one thing you cannot take away from a coach. It's not like football as a, when it comes down to a player. But when it comes to X's and O's, he is steadily on the board. He is steadily watching film. He is still diagnosing players on the roster, looking at their their, their capabilities, their potential, 
What makes a quarterback good? What makes a running back bad? What makes an offensive lineman average? What makes the defensive lineman be able to beat him every single play? So he's still in the matrix of what it was and is that he loves to do. And that's passion for the game. So he wasn't removed like being at home, you know, coming on NFL Network every blue moon. You know, it wasn't like he was just on everyone. He was actually week to week engaged, involved looking at pieces and moves that were made in the National Football League. And just his energy alone will afford this team, I would think, two more wins. Just his energy alone. Okay, because you know it didn't work out at the end of Tampa. That's why he got fired. Well, but at the beginning, of, I mean, it didn't work out for a lot of players and coaches in All a lot right, of places. But let me give you the record after he won the Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's players. Seven wins, five wins, 11 wins, four wins, nine wins, nine wins, get? fired. And what, and, what, and what do we get with Eli Manning? He's won two championships, but he's a gift that keeps on giving. We well, say I don't he want still anybody to be off. Eli Manning. He but is I'm in just, the twilight of his career. But apart. what I'm basically saying is when it comes down to the accolades and the things you've achieved, there is gonna there will come a time where things are going to fall apart at some point in time. But here's the beauty for him. If he takes that job in Oakland, he's not just a head coach anymore. He now becomes the, 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 the decision maker. He becomes a part owner. And also he moves into Vegas to where he leaves when he chooses to. That's how, or unless they buy him out or he chooses to just leave through a buyout. So now what happens is this becomes his <laughs> literally, not figuratively, but literally. And so you, we're trying to figure out the body of work that he can actually put into this scenario and situation. I think it would be better than what it is right now because they are respecting first of all, and he's going to demand excellence from these players. He's going to demand it. And I think the Chucky scowl and all that great stuff, it goes right back into the black hole. And I think that black hole may not be as deep and as big when he moves to Vegas, but it's going to be just as dark because I think the Chucky scowl is going to come back. That, that image, uh, that, that what we know of that organization, I think it'll be relevant again because the Raiders are one of the football team, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Green Bay Packers, even as bad as the Cleveland Browns are. Just that team, just being bad, I think, has become, you know, they become iconic when it comes down to just being a bad <laughs> they're, organization. They're so bad, they're good. They're so bad, they're phenomenal, by the way. <laughs> one, one win in 32 tries for Hugh Jackson. It's great. He keeps his job. It's phenomenal. Unbelievable. And so when I look at it, when I think of this football team with the Oakland Raiders, it's a business move. And I think it's also the understanding of football move, too, as well. Now, Will it be as good as a Sean McVay? We don't know. We don't have a clue. Is he as young as he once was? Of course he isn't. Can he be as good as he once was? We don't know. The rules have changed in the National Football League with what you can and can do. So it may play into his favor. We don't know. I mean, we can, we can, we can skin this cat a hundred million different ways. But I personally, when I think of an opportunity, there's never been one to this magnitude, I would say, in the history of the game for a coach that's been in the booth covering football, I think had a great resume, the story from where he started to where he, where he is today and what he can do for that organization based on, I think, what the Davis family remembers most about, I think he'll be able to go in and help them be a successful organization a little bit more than, than even though they trended in the right direction with Jack Del Rio, I think this team overall long-term, because I think they just need someone that they can trust to go out and make decisions, uh, be the head coach, but yet give him a piece of the stake, man, to, to be a part of that organization. That must mean he must have really done something special for that organization and that family for them to ask him to come back and give him that much. Well, it's great negotiating by his agent, Bob Lamont, because Big he's time. got a good gig. So if you want someone to take your opportunity, you got to sweeten the offer. We're going to have a lot of time to talk about this because Gruden's going to be on your TV this Saturday calling a wild card game for ESPN slash ABC. He's going to be in the booth when the Chiefs and Titans get together. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Wednesday edition of NFL No Huddle. It's the NFL on TuneIn. Partner, let me take you back to Friday while you were enjoying your mini vacation. There was an Andrew Luck sighting. He addressed the media and Indy, said all the right things about coming back from the shoulder injury that wiped out his entire season. When the Colts made it official, 
yesterday. They were parting ways with Chuck Pagano. The news came out Sunday in the press conference yesterday. Colts owner Jim Irsay had an impassioned description about what's coming up for his franchise quarterback, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is going to be back, and I mean back, with a fierce fire in his eyes, I promise you. Does he sound like Hulk Hogan, brother? Fierce I'm trying to say, fire I'm, right there. I'm begging eyes. you to please stick with me. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he's going to come back with a fire and glare that's bigger than, woo! We'll see. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Here, here's, the, here's the thing is... You know, Jim Irsay, we've known based on his history and how he responds to certain things. It's dramatic all the time. Same way he did it with Peyton Manning when he ended up leaving to all of a sudden now giving him a statue. Uh, to now doing the same thing with Andrew Luck and hoping, being hopeful, which he should be. I mean, he's given him a tremendous amount of money. He loves the kid. He's the face of the franchise. He's a good football player. I think at the end of the day, in order for this team to be successful, they're going to have to do it with him and also do it without him in the sense of they're going to have to win with him and they're going to have to also lose with him as well. It can't. It's almost like, how can they say it? You're going to lose with him, but you're not going to win without him. That's how I meant to say it. So he has to come back. And I think what Jim Irsay is trying to say to many is that you know, even though these obstacles with Andrew Luck have been, I think, costly you know, for our team and the organization, even the fan base, because there hasn't been... Uh, I think Jacoby Brissett has done a fair job, uh, you know, with what they've asked him to do and what he walked into and having to play the entire season, probably not expecting to. Uh, but I thought he did a fair job with what they've asked, what they've asked of him. Uh, and I think he deserves an opportunity to maybe be the backup to Andrew Luck when he comes back, if he's healthy. Uh, so to me, it's one of those cases where Jim Mercy really just wants to see his quarterback back on the football field. And when you give up 87 million bucks guaranteed, to your quarterback. Come on, man. I mean, what else is he supposed to say? You know, and, and, and it's going to be something, hopefully, um, even though it sounds as if there are more issues and everything sounds like it's okay, and that's what you have to say. And it's the early part of the offseason, really. I mean, it's, it's just started after this last weekend for us teams that didn't make it to the postseason. So we're back in January again, Okay to where I think the last time he was his shoulder was surgically repaired was in January. Yeah, a year fact, ago. Yep. A year ago. And remember, yes. he was going to be just this fine. Month. He was going to be right. back on schedule, and then we know the whole year was wiped out. How attractive is this opening when you consider, I'm not certain that Luck's going to be ready to go. We know shoulders are highly important for quarterbacks, and Cordell, think about the rest of the division. Your Titans snuck into the playoffs. The Jags went from worst to first to win the division, and Houston finally has a franchise quarterback when healthy into Sean Watson. Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, to me, Indy becomes tough because you, you, you have to look at the salary cap and start looking to see what can you acquire to build your roster around the number that was given to Andrew Luck a year or so ago. Um, and, and, and I think that's why you end up seeing the, the, the former GM ran up out of there. It's because of his response of all the money was given to their quarterback. And that's why they couldn't grab other players. So if I'm a head coach, I think from a business standpoint, I want to look at the books. Okay, that's not my job, but I want to look at the books. I want to see how you've actually, when it comes to profit and loss, because there's a profit and loss sheet, okay? You want to look at the profit and loss sheet and see, you know, what's the profits in all of this and, and where are the losses in a sense of how much money was given to, you know, this group and what, what could potentially happen for us being over the salary cap. You need to look at that to determine how this will pan out, excuse me for hitting the mic, how it's going to pan out for us what we can get and what we can't get based on numbers, monies, you know, are we behind or are we ahead? You know, if we look at the roster and say, you know, how many players have one more year left? How many players have two more, three more? So that means if we have guys, more guys with three plus years, we have time to make it work. We have time. So now we need to maybe grab a piece here. So you, as a head coach, you want to look at that. Even if you look at, um, you mentioned, tell me about uh, the Houston Texans. What did you mention about Deshaun Watson? Well, I'm just trying to survey the division because when Andrew Luck got there, I okay. think he was dominant for yes, two reasons. He's a transcendent mm-hmm. quarterback, and the rest yep. of the division was not that good. I think yep. everybody else has improved. Sorry about that. Yep. So it's almost like Coach Malarkey, he's on the cutting edge of maybe not being there. It's going to be all pending, probably, you know, 
depending upon how he plays in this postseason game that they have coming up, which this is great for this organization. I mean, to make it to the playoffs and you're playing against a Kansas City Chiefs team that has shown that they can hit a bump in the road and, and all the lug nuts on the, on the wheel can just come off and the tires start going, you know, start wobbling out of control and, and end up losing that game. I mean, you, you just never know. And the Tennessee Titans, even though we know uh, DeMarco Murray is, 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 is injured with an MCL spring uh, and probably won't be back in this game. They say he's going to be okay, but we know we have Derrick Henry that can carry the load. I mean, that's another scenario in case and situation that you have to look into to say, okay, if I come into this division, what do we have? Which he can end up at some point in time. Mike Miller can keep that job, but you have to go against that. And then you have to look at Jacksonville. Who's their quarterback going to be? What are you going against when you go against that defense? And then you mentioned the Houston Texans, um, who is another football team that's going to get J.J. Watt, and you're going to have, of course, uh, Jadavion Clowney coming back. And, of course, you're going to have uh, this offense and players coming back with Deshaun Watson. You know, so you have to put all that into the pot of what you want to go against. But if you get a head coaching job, some guys just want the head coaching job. I think the, I think the Indianapolis Colts is a good job, to be honest with you, uh, because you see the direct, you see where it is. It's it's in that crossroad of being a team that's an organization that's struggling with what they're trying to do for us, and identity is concerned. And I hope he gets a head coach. And this is just my personal preference. I've been saying it since day one for Andrew Luck. I hope he brings in. And by the way, uh, that guy Frank Gore, he's he's now fifth now. He's he's steadily moving up. He's on his way to the Hall of Fame. I've been saying this for a while now. Here, oh, um, so it's 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 one of those cases for me that they need to bring in an offensive-minded guy that's going to start the process off with running the football. Let me stop you right there. According to reports, you know who they want to talk to first? Who's this? Houston defensive coordinator Mike Vrabel. So welcome to Indy. That, that's the first interview. They're going to talk to a variety of guys. But I according like Vrabel to reports, in that case. They I like, like Vrabel. Vrabel's a good – he's a smart guy, which you know they're going to run the football. Right. Because he's defensive-minded. I like that approach. But get an offensive coordinator that will come in and force it. Because you don't want to put Andrew Luck again. He's proven that he's injury prone. Okay? This, this is who Andrew Luck is because of how he plays the game. Right. So let's fix the offensive line and let's address the running back position. In addition to Frank Gore, if you want to bring him back, I think you can also get a rookie running back to bolster that position. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.